Good morning, everyone. So today's Bible reading will be from Romans chapter 14, verse 1, to chapter 15, verse 7, and I'll be reading from the NIV. Accept the one whose faith is weak, without quarrelling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another, whose faith is weak, eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another, another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. 
May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Good morning. Seems like a while since I've been up here to preach. <coughs> I had the privilege this morning of um, preaching and doing music at Hertford Street Baptist Church, and it was a really encouraging time. There was about 25, 30 people there, so that's a really good number for them. Uh, and I had to rush back for communion and now to preach at 10.30. So um, if I'm a bit flustered, that's probably why. So how about we pray before we start? Let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I pray that you open our hearts this morning. Lord, help us to receive your word. We pray that you'll plant your word down deep in us so that we may bear fruit in our lives, in our church, and in our community. Lord, help us and work in us so that we can live for Christ together. We ask your Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and minds this morning. Point us to Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. One of the sad things in the Christian world is that churches divide over really silly reasons. Whether it be the use of a piano bench, the new church name, the pipe organ, the spelling of the word hallelujah, the color of the carpet, whether the Hebrew letter is pronounced wow or vav, they might sound ridiculous, but these are all real stories of real reasons why real churches divided um, over these most ridiculous reasons. And there's one particular story I heard that takes the cake. There's a church in the States that has split 47 times in the past century. 47 times. And most of these splits were because of some silly reason. One of the first splits was over whether offerings should be taken before or after the sermon. Then they split again over music. The next time they split over having flowers in the hall. A few decades later, they split over whether their church name was allowed to have the word saint in it or not. They split then over the logistics of communion. And recently, they split over the Sabbath and whether it's okay to check emails on Sunday. It seems ridiculous, but churches don't always split over big theological issues. In fact, most church splits are because of trivial, disputable matters. And that's the phrase we find here in verse 1, chapter 14. Disputable matters or matters of indifference, stuff that's not essential to the gospel. You see, the church in Rome, they were dealing with problems between these two groups, the Jewish and the Gentile Christians. And here, the Jewish Christians are called the weak in faith. They're the rule keepers. They followed Jesus, but they still held on to the food and the Sabbath laws of Moses. They probably thought that they were the strong in faith, the ones who were being more Christian than the rest. But it's ironic that Paul labels them as the weak in faith. 
And it's implied as uh, we've looked through this passage, as we've read it, that this probably isn't a good thing to Paul. If you have a look, he never says that this group is right, but he does just accept that this is just the way it is. And Paul focuses here on how these guys are relate to other people. Now, the Gentile Christians are called the strong in faith, and this includes Jewish converts who have understood the gospel. You see, this group, they understood that Jesus died to set us free from sin and also to set us free from being under the law and being under the rituals and the customs of the Mosaic law. So these Gentile Christians, they could eat anything. They could drink what they wanted to, and they could do all this without wondering whether it was ritually clean or not. And they weren't bound to the rituals of the Sabbath, the days of fasting, and the festival days. So if you think about those two, these groups, they were bashing heads big time. And both of them weren't going about it in a very godly way. And it wasn't about a gospel issue, or else Paul would have said something completely different. And you know, the church in Brisbane, even our church today, is not too different. We suffer and we're prone to suffer the same tension. Think about different groups, different people, different views and having this tension, division, disunity. And it's all over disputable issues, matters of indifference, things that are just trivial to the gospel message. And confronting this isn't easy. To be honest, uh, most of the time, we don't really deal with these sorts of matters very well. Uh, We let these tensions and these divisions simmer and boil on. And we pretend that we're united, but really, if you look under the bonnet, this guy won't serve that guy. This girl won't talk to that girl. This group won't invite that guy out. And it's hard for us to even consider that we could be wrong, that I could be doing something wrong, because we always assume that we're right and we're the strong one in faith. Of course I'm right. Of course he's wrong. And we end up with this huge stalemate. We're not really united as a church in practice. It's just a facade or a show. So we need to listen up to God's word this morning to see how God wants us as a church to glorify him because that's what Paul wants out of this discussion. That's how the passage ends. Have a look at chapter 15, verse 5. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Paul wants the church in Rome to be united as a body in glorifying God. And God wants us, Sunnybank, District Baptist Church to be united as one body in glorifying God, that despite and through our non-essential differences, that through our coming together in Christ as we've demonstrated in communion and living together with the example of Christ, that we would stand together as a church to give glory to God. That's Paul's goal here. And he starts off with a positive instruction in verse 1. Have a look. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Note that here he doesn't say, go and straighten out this guy's thinking or don't welcome him, just give him the cold shoulder. You see, it was easy for the strong to despise the weak. I mean, 
What a joke. Think about what a weirdo. You don't eat meat. Don't you get that Jesus has set you free? And it was really easy on the other side for the weak to judge the strong. I can't believe they eat meat. I mean, don't they read their Bibles? Haven't they heard about the Mosaic Law? Seriously, we are so much more godly than them. And Paul responds to both of these sides in verse 3. He says, The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. You see, Paul tells the strong in faith to accept the weak in faith, whatever the issue may be. They're both to accept each other and to do it without judging, despising, or arguing about these non-essentials. And that's Paul's basic instruction here. How are we going to be transformed as a group of Christ followers? How are we going to be united with one voice and mind in glorifying God? Well, we have to accept each other, to focus on what brings us together, which is the gospel, to live out the gospel instead of dividing over the non-essentials and things that don't really matter. You know, today's church breaks fellowship over so many non-essentials, whether it be a theological view that's not a salvation issue, or maybe it's something to do with tradition like hymns, how we do communion, where we display a cross and whether we do or not. Or maybe it's something totally trivial like the colour of the wall, what someone wore on stage last week or what you're allowed to do on Sundays. We don't want these things to get in the way of our unity in Christ. So whether you're the strong or you're the weak camp, whichever side you're on, this passage is really relevant for us today. And Paul goes on in this passage and he unpacks three negative instructions to help us figure all this out. How are we to relate to each other? And the first instruction is in verses 4 to 12. And it's directed generally to both groups, but it's probably focused on the weak in faith. And the instruction is this. Don't judge, because you belong to the Lord. If you imagine for a second, uh, after church on Sunday in Rome, having this conversation, man, I got invited to Josh Tan's barbecue lunch again. Yeah, he wants us to eat meat, 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 and more meat. I mean, he must not be very godly or Christian, right? Who does he think he is coming to church like a Christian preaching and then behaving like all the other pagans out there? I mean, he's not godly or serious like us who don't eat meat at all. And to that conversation, Paul comes and says this, verse 4, he says, Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for God is able to make them stand. Paul reminds the weak, a servant reports to his Lord. And these meat eaters, you're not their Lord. God is, so don't judge his servants. God decides whether they stand or fall, whether they're right or wrong. And actually, they will stand. God does approve of them. So don't judge, they belong to the Lord. Paul goes on in verse 5. One person considers one day more sacred than the other, like the Sabbath or fasting days or festival days. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Remember Paul's talking to genuine Christians, people who 
get the gospel, people who get justification by faith alone, Romans 1 to 9. So this conviction in someone's mind isn't just a subjective thing, but it's an assumption that people are genuinely working out their faith and how to live for God. So that's why Paul can just leave it at that, as long as you're fully convinced in your own mind. Because if you think about it, if we're genuinely working out our faith, we're doing it to the Lord. And that's what verse 6 says. If someone regards one day as special, he does it to the Lord. Those who eat meat, they do it to the Lord. Those who abstain, they do it to the Lord too. They're all doing it out of thanks to God. You see, none of us live or die for ourselves when we follow Jesus. Verse 8. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. So don't judge each other, for we belong to the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ, remember, the one who died and lived so he could be our Lord, our Master, our Redeemer, and our Savior. So don't judge each other, for we belong to the Lord. In verse 10, if we have a look, Paul talks to both groups. He says, you then. He's trying to get their attention. He's saying, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. And verse 12, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Remember, we belong to God. We will answer to him on the last day. And the account that we will give is our own, my own, not what we saw Joe Blow doing the other day. So don't judge. Don't assume the position of God. Instead, welcome them, accept them, maybe talk to them about the issue, but don't judge, don't despise. Whether it be a particular view of a non-gospel issue, or someone decides they're able to drink alcohol, or someone wears flip-flops on stage, don't judge them. If they think they're able to watch MA movies, or listen to rock music, or take part in the lotto syndicate, or hang out with that certain group of people, Maybe go talk to them, but don't give them a hard time. Don't stand over them in judgment, because we belong to the Lord. And verse 13 hammers it home again. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. But in this verse, uh, verse 13, he also transitions to the next section. It says, Instead, make up your own mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Here Paul's turning around and addressing the strong in faith. And his second instruction is this. Don't stumble others. Instead, act in love. Verse 14. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. Here we see that Paul's actually on the side of the strong. For him, no food is unclean. But for our brother or sister who sees it as unclean, if for this guy they work out, when they're working out how to live for God, they conclude it's unclean, then for them it's unclean. Now think about it. If we go on in our lives and parade our freedom in front of them, how is that loving? How is that loving? If I invited my Jewish Christian friend over for lunch and I said, we're having a barbecue today, steak, pork ribs, lamb chops are on offer. Come on, you got to do it, mate. You can do it. We're free in Christ. If you're really a Christian, you can do it. If you think about it, it's not loving. In fact, you're stumbling them, and 
you've got the potential to completely destroy their faith. Verse 15, if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not let your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. Don't let the gospel be spoken of as a bad thing. And just because of food or drink or what you wear or the places you go to or what you watch and listen. Paul's saying don't blaspheme the gospel. Don't let the freedom that you have in Christ look like something evil. Verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but it's of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Think about it. Barbecue steaks are delicious. Prawns on the Weber are great. But is the kingdom, but do we want this more than righteousness, joy and peace? Is the kingdom of God about offending others in the church family? Or is it about peace with each other, joy and encouraging righteousness? You see, we're not to show off our freedom in Christ in front of everyone else if it's going to stumble their faith, if it destroys their conscience before God, and if it turns them away from the church and even away from Christ. So don't stumble each other, but act in love which is what Romans 13 was about. We're to respect other people's differences of opinion, to prioritize peace and the building up of the community. And that's where verse 19 goes to. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. You see, we're to be peacemakers, the one who goes out of our way to love, to calm things down, to even purposely act in a way that doesn't stumble the other person. For the Christians in Rome, it meant not eating meat or drinking wine in front of some people. And for us, it might mean not wearing flip-flops or singlets when we go to church if it stumbles people, not watching particular movies or listening to some types of music in front of some people if it stumbles them, watching how we speak in front of certain people. It might mean uh, not drinking alcohol in front of some groups of Christians. It might mean looking past some differences in theology and non-essentials or bearing with certain furniture or traditional items in the church or living with certain routines and rituals that are from generations past and might mean nothing at all to you. You see, in the way we confront any of these things, Paul's saying don't stumble others. Don't put their faith in jeopardy, but act in love. Uh, when I was in Sydney a couple of years ago on college mission, I was talking to the senior pastor of a church about uh, the topic of music, and he told me that their pastoral team, their eldership, uh, had been talking for more than a year about the issue of whether or not uh, they should keep the organ in the church hall. And in my mind, I'm thinking, just get rid of it. Why are you talking about it for so long? But as he talked to me, I began to understand why they were taking so long. You see, there were a lot of people in this church who 
were genuine Christians, genuine followers of Jesus. And church to them wasn't just a guitar or drums or anything like that. For them, the instrument was the church organ. And basically, he told me that for him, this pastor, organ wasn't important at all. But to those Christians, the church organ was a big deal for them. It was their only experience of church for them. And they needed some time and some teaching to understand or to be reminded that the organ wasn't essential in church. So instead of getting them angry or distracting them or stumbling their faith because just one day when they rocked up to church, they got rid of the organ, they put together this one-year plan. Uh, First, they introduced other instruments just for one service each month to start off. And at the same time, they, they engaged with these guys and taught about the spiritual significance or the insignificance of the organ. And they slowly brought up this idea of getting rid of the church organ, a 12-month process while loving these Christians and making sure that through this journey they weren't stumbling in their faith. And when I thought about it, maybe when you think about it, is it worth off-siding genuine Christians just because of a church organ? Is the organ a huge enough matter inside the kingdom of God? Is the church organ an issue to lose churchgoers and an issue to even lose Christians over? Of course not. Of course it's not that kind of issue. They were free under Christ to get rid of the organ, but, they, but doing it in a way that stumbled other people, that's just not loving. And if we exercise our freedom in Christ in a way that stumbles other people, genuine Christians. That's just not loving. That's what Paul's trying to say. So we need to stop stumbling others, but instead to act in love, to make up your own mind uh, under God on these issues, and to keep it between yourself and God, to maybe tell someone about what you think, but never to impose it on them, to insist it on them, or, or things like that, because that's just not loving. And that's what verse 22 says, if you have a look. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. You see, if you understand what freedom in Christ means, and you you stumble others, you're just condemning yourself. But you're blessed if you get the fact that you're free in Christ, And you're also able to love your brother and sister. Because you're theologically correct, tick. And you're living in line with the gospel, tick. But there's also a warning here about the weak in verse 23. It says, But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith. And everything that that does not come from faith is sin. You see, if the weak, they're convinced that eating meat is being not faithful to God, and they do it. Their eating isn't from faith, but it's actually sin. It's a very wrong thing to do, to force a Christian to do something that they believe is not being faithful to God. And that's why we need to heed Paul's instruction. Don't stumble others, but instead act in love. And now we come to Paul's final instruction, Have a look at chapter 15, verse 1. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. 
each of us should please our neighbors for their good and to build them up. He's saying to the strong pretty much, don't please ourselves. Then he says the same thing to both groups. He says, please our neighbors, live in a way that builds them up, accept them in a way that encourages them in the gospel, be respectful and mindful of others for their benefit and not ours. And you know, I think this is a pretty hard thing to do for those who are fully convinced that Christ has set you free. It's hard to put up with others who seem to be bound to certain rules or hung up for certain traditions and issues. In fact, Western society tells us that we should please ourselves, to do what we want to do, to do it when we want to do it. If others aren't okay with it, then it's their problem and not ours. We don't go above and beyond for anyone else because it's my life, it's your life, and not theirs. And sometimes we import this mentality into the church. And we want our way so much to exercise our freedom so much that unity just goes out the window, that the gospel does, doesn't become our center. But Paul says to those who are strong, uh, he says, please others instead of yourselves. To go over the top to respect those who have differing views to us. That's what it means to love them to prioritize their good and building them up, to bear with their theological failings and to accept them instead of mocking them, to welcome them and to have fellowship with them instead of um, focusing on our differences, to make that sacrifice play for the sake of someone else. And the end goal of this is for their good and to build them up. Paul keeps going. He says that behind this instruction is Christ himself. You see, this is the gospel way of life. This is how we follow Jesus. Don't please ourselves, but follow the example of Christ. Verse 3, For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. You see, as the church in Rome adopted this way of pleasing others, as we today stop pleasing ourselves and begin to please our neighbors, we're actually following in the footsteps of Christ. We're actually living the gospel out in our lives. For remember, Christ didn't please himself. Remember, his work was the ultimate work of not pleasing himself. He made the ultimate sacrifice play for us. He took the insults that were hurled at God and he bore them on himself that God became man and the God who died for us. And if this is the example of Christ, our Lord and our Savior, then we should really take note and take it on board. So as we follow Christ and learn to live for him, let's not please ourselves, but follow the example of Christ. Go about your faith in a way that doesn't make others uncomfortable, that doesn't offend your brother or sister in Christ. Don't let them be hung up about what you do or what you did or insult their conscience uh, as they live for God. Instead, live for Christ in a way that in fact pleases your neighbor, that loves them, that honors and respects them, that is for their good and their growth. So that our church this body of Christ is transformed by the gospel, that we'll have real peace in Christ, that we're truly united in him. And through this, 
God is glorified. Because that's what it's all about in the end. Listen to Paul's prayer again in verse 5. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, as we accept one another and love one another and please our neighbor, as we stop judging others, as we stop stumbling others, as we stop pleasing ourselves, this is the end goal. Unity in Christ. Adopting gospel-driven attitudes as we relate to each other. Living out the example of Christ towards each other in this church. Followers of Jesus living together in love despite their differences. Just imagine how awesome that would be. And when this happens, when we're being transformed in this way, God is glorified. The praise and glory and the thanksgiving is to him. So Paul finishes by reminding us as we finish up this morning, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. So let's pray to this end. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son Jesus, that through his death and his resurrection, that we can come to you as your people, saved, forgiven, and free. Lord, help us to live together as your body, to accept each other, to love each other, to please our neighbors instead of ourselves. Lord, we ask that you'd work in us and help us so that we won't judge or stumble each other, but instead help us to keep pointing each other to the unity we share in Christ. And help us, Lord, to let Jesus be our example and our motivation as we seek to live together in your kingdom under his lordship. Lord, we want our church to glorify you because you deserve it. Work in us to this end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.